Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast not breaking at all. Today we're discussing the Breaking Bad TV shows in light of the wrap-up of the prequel, Better Call Saul. This is Mark Lintonmeyer, running this podcast purely as a money-laundering scheme. This is Lawrence Ware coming to you with tears in my eyes about the death of the Queen of England. I'm Sarah Lynn Bruck, and I need a dust filter for a Hoover Max Extract 60 Pressure Pro. Nice. Love it, Sarah. And this is Al Baker speaking from the UK. And I'm not saying one more word until you call my lawyer. (laughs) Very nice. So we could not let such a momentous TV occasion, the closing down of a, hopefully the closing down, let's say, of a classic franchise, which we got a whole second act for unexpectedly. How lucky are we that we got this prequel? This is one of my favorite shows. I was... So sad to see it go, but I thought the ending was just perfect. I missed Breaking Bad. El Camino was okay, but Better Call Saul, it just felt like it breathed new life into something that I thought was finished. You know, it was a beautiful, beautiful show. I thought Better Call Saul was so, just a whole experience of revisiting the whole Breaking Bad, because I managed to go back through everything, the whole Breaking Bad El Camino before, before before watching this. And Better Call Saul makes every part of the Breaking Bad universe more interesting. It makes some parts of the original show much better and makes some parts of it seem, I think, a, a, a bit worse. I think Better Call Saul makes it so that there is so much more to say about both Breaking Bad and El Camino, both for better and worse, and that alone means it was definitely worth doing. Lawrence, your hot take? I loved Breaking Bad a great, great deal. I thought it was a wonderful show. It was particularly good for that stage of my life. It was really a lot of action and all the kind of stuff. But now as a 41, Jesus, a year old man looking back on both of these shows, Better Call Saul is by far my favorite. It is really, really good. I love Better Call Saul. Now, when I was younger, I would not have enjoyed Better Call Saul as much as Breaking Bad because Breaking Bad is almost like a Scarface kind of movie. It's like really fast and a lot of stuff going Mm -hmm. on. Better Call Saul is a much slower show, far more interested in character details. There are moments of action, but it has a different rhythm to it. Like the first two seasons of Better Call Saul are just like legal dramas. Not much action happens. Of the two shows, I really, really enjoyed Better Call Saul a great deal more. It does make Breaking Bad better retrospectively, which is a, a rare prequel does that. But I thought they, it stayed as welcome. I thought that the last season was kind of a little long. They could have ended a little bit faster, but I loved the show. I loved the characterizations. I loved the characters. And I loved how it, it allowed me to go back looking at Breaking Bad through a new lens, and it makes a much richer viewing experience. I've heard a lot of people say that they prefer Best Call Saul to Breaking Bad, and I understand why. I disagree, having seen them both very, very recently. I, I still think Breaking Bad comes out as a superior show. 
But Better Call Saul made me realize, I think, pretty strongly that what I previously thought Breaking Bad, when I watched it the first time, I thought it was pretty much flawless television. And on rewatching it, I now see it is far from flawless television. And some of the reasons why I think that are directly tied into the way that Better Call Saul forces the audience to look again at the kinds of characters that Breaking Bad is talking about. And I'd love to get everyone's take on how it forces that kind of review of the kinds of personalities that we're, that we're dealing with. Do you guys remember when Saul was introduced? Like, what was your impression when Saul was introduced originally on Breaking Bad? Because I felt like as a Bob Odenkirk fan, yeah. I just thought he didn't fit. I just thought like, this is too cartoony. You know, I got used to it as it went on. So I don't know if now having this enriched version of the character that I could then read back into it if I watched it again, if that would help or if it just doesn't matter. After Breaking Bad was done, right after it was done, I watched the entire thing straight through as a long movie, you know, over a few days and was just blown away about just how coherent it was. I did not get that feeling about Better Call Saul while it was going. I haven't gone back and tried. In fact, I don't want to because it seems like it would be very slow and I don't know that I would want to sit through the whole thing again. To me, each season of Better Call Saul was a nice thing in itself, but I didn't get the bird's eye view, at least maybe Al can correct this, that it came to one coherent thing. It seemed like now, okay, well, we don't want to do exactly what we did last season. We've gotten over the brother subplot. You know, let's introduce some of the more of the action elements. And it just seemed like almost a, a totally different show. So it's, uh, it's just seemed disjointed to me, but it at least knew what it was doing, you know, and it knew its style and was going to be brave enough to be glacial. It's maybe artistically superior as far as I'm concerned. And certainly a good move if you're going to say, we're going to make a whole second show. If it were exactly like the first show in its tone, in its purpose, I would be disappointed. I mean, just to go back to the point, the question that you came in with, what was his role on Breaking Bad? When I first saw that show, I saw him as, and also knowing who Bob Odenkirk was and familiar with some of his work, he was comic relief. He was the pressure valve mm -hmm. in a plot that was so fast and so stressful. It's such a stressful show. And Better Call Saul is not stressful in that way. Sometimes it is, but it is a much slower burn. And that pacing, it's such a different experience watching it. And it is more, I agree, Lawrence, it's more of a character study than anything else. And I just found that so fascinating. How do we get from Jimmy McGill to Saul to Gene, <laughs> you know? One thing I noticed rewatching Breaking Bad about Saul Goodman is that he's hardly in the show. He's in like a handful of episodes, five or six. And I remember from the first time watching it, him as being one of the main characters. And it says an all, I think it's a, an awful lot about how strong, yeah, how strong the character true. is that, that you do come away remembering this outsized presence, but also far more than the character of Saul from his appearances in Breaking Bad to how he is in Better Call Saul is so consistent. It is exactly the same character in a way which I don't think any of the other characters manage even within their own shows. So I think he's definitely the same guy as he is in, in both of them. I think, I think that's impressive. In Breaking Bad, I thought that Saul was, I mean, I knew who Bob Odenkirk was, of course. I thought it was going to be like just a small character because I didn't see him as a big character at all in that show. I thought he was an at most a quirky 
guy who was like in the mix, but nowhere near a central character in that show. He he wasn't a central character in the show. It's like having the stoner friends, the stoner yeah, friends yeah, one of those. have a whole show of those. Like, yeah, right. I would watch. I would or watch the that. veterinarian. <laughs> Badger and Skinny Pete take White Castle. Absolutely, yeah. So I didn't think he was a major character really at all. Now, one of the things that I did love that Better Call Saul did, particularly with this character, is they gave Gus Fring such a rich characterization. Gus Fring in Breaking Bad was just a bad guy. Hmm. Gus Fring now is almost like a tragic figure to me. Looking at the way that that story kind of unfolded, there's a lot there about who he's romantically involved with and how that's consistent with all with both of the shows, but also the fact that there's like this longing that he wanted to have, but he wasn't able to kind of actualize on it because of his circumstances. I absolutely loved what it did with Gus Fring. I loved what it did with Mike. I thought it was a wonderful show to kind of give us depth and uh, meaning and feeling to what was going on. That's the reason why I think it's a superior show. Because as far as just the excitement factor, Breaking Bad is going to win, like, hands down. I mean, Heisenberg blows up a freaking, like, building. Like, I mean, of course, that's a, a more exciting show. But as far as a better show with good characterizations, with good plot details, with good pacing, with a lived-in world, by far Better Call Saul is a better show. And they created Kim Wexler, you know, from scratch. And just, I don't know about, I mean, I'm... I'm sure I'm not the only one. I was so worried for her for the entire run of the show because <laughs> we didn't know she never made an appearance in Breaking Bad. And so I was so invested in her and her safety and who she was. You know, is it was it worse for her to turn into someone like Saul to sacrifice her own integrity than death, really? You know, and so that was just a fascinating ride for me. I feel like even though this should be an end show thing, I want to do it right now is that, is this a franchise? Like if there was going to be, you know, would it be the Mike backstory show? No. Because, because okay. at the very beginning of this, no. at the very beginning, Better Call Saul, he's working in the parking garage and he clearly has had this whole backstory. And I kind of don't even remember exactly what did he kill and which show was it in his son-in-law or his, his son. son Died he was in a Philadelphia cop. He was a dirty cop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his son was, because I just watched that episode a few days okay. ago. I have no idea what happened. But he, um, <laughs> yeah, he, his son was killed because he was also a cop and he didn't want to be a dirty cop. His partners killed him. And so Mike went back and killed the partners and then escaped to Albuquerque, which is where his granddaughter and his daughter-in-law were. So that story is already told. We don't need a young Mike show. Here's where I have to disagree with Lawrence is that most of what they did with Gus Fring in Better Call Saul, I thought was unnecessary and flabby because they did that Whoa! in Breaking Bad. They, they established in Breaking Bad Gus's tragic backstory. I thought they got rid of Gus Fring way too early. This is one of the things that I that made me realize that Breaking Bad was flawed. It was they got rid of Gus Fring way too early in Breaking Bad. Like repl- I agree with that. Replacing Gus Fring as the big bad guy with some Nazi bikers that we barely know. That was not a good move in terms of upping the tension throughout the, the last series. But the attention on Gus Fring in Bezical Saul like slowed it down way too much, caused weird pacing problems. This weird bifurcated plot which didn't come together, I think, until the third season of Better Call Saul, where we were spending half the time... With Nacho, the Nacho stuff? No, I, honest to God, I thought that was fan service getting in the way of a good plot. Whoa! For, for, come on, man! Ow! Ow! <laughs> I am stomping around my room right now. Are you serious, Al? You're killing me. 
You're killing me. I'm now. serious. I was, I'm serious. It was because this is the thing that everyone else has picked up on as well. The thing I loved about Better Call Saul was that for the first couple of seasons, or for most of it, when they weren't lost in Drugland, it was a really interesting, leisurely, well paced legal drama about the reality of what it's like to get idiots out of trouble or to keep kids out of jail in the New Mexico legal system and how you navigate that as a kind of recovering felon yourself like Jimmy McGill is. And here is something else which Better Call Saul kind of pointed out for me as being a shortcoming in both shows. And I think something that just Vince Gilligan has trouble with is both of these shows changed hugely in the later seasons in terms of like the kind of show that they were. And in Breaking Bad, I initially gave it the benefit of the doubt because it changes pretty sharply from being a kind of fish out of water, dark comedy to being a action thriller, like about halfway through the run. Better Call Saul similarly changes from being a courtroom drama to being a kind of tragic romance story. And I think in both cases, Vince Gilligan doesn't, or it seems to change his mind about what the focus of his story is partway through these shows. I think that's an interesting flaw that both of them share. And partly, you can draw out some credit for Vince Gilligan there because he creates worlds which are so interesting that you can tell lots of different stories in lots of different ways. But in both cases, I think my preferred version of the story is the one that he started out with. I like Walter White as the fish out of water in the, in the drug cartel world. And I like Better Call Saul as a story of how different lawyers try to do the best they can in the various parts of the legal system that they find themselves in. And that's why Kimmy Wexler, I agree with Sarah Lynn, is the best character in, in Best Call Saul by a mm -hmm. country mile. I did like the refocus on her and their relationship towards the end, but I think it's interesting that the story's focus changed so dramatically in both series. But doesn't it have to? I feel like if you have a story that starts one way, it becomes one note. I don't think that that's something that can be sustained over five or six seasons. I don't know that it's necessary, and I don't know that you're going to be able to retain. It's an interesting thing to think about because I saw the beginning as really this relationship between him and his brother, Chuck. And I heard maybe it was, was it Vince Gilligan or Peter Gold? One of them was saying that if you put both Chuck and Jimmy together, they together make the most perfect lawyer, <laughs> but separately, they are not, <laughs> which I thought was so interesting. But their relationship was such a key part of those first few seasons. And then once Chuck is gone, that's a progression for that character. He becomes Saul. That's when he changes his name. That's when he says, it's Saul good, man. You know, that's the big change. And that I found fascinating. That was what made it for me. I liked seeing that progression. And also the writers too, they often write their way into a hole that is really hard to get out of. And they kind of thrive on that. They're really great at that. Especially as a creative person, I find that fascinating, that, that kind of process. Yeah, it is, what, it, is what, it is one way of doing things. I, that's kind of jarring to me. Maybe this is kind of challenge, just the way I prefer to approach story. When I'm in a story being told to me by like some writer, showrunner, whoever it is, I like to feel like I'm in safe hands. And I like to feel like they know the journey that I'm going to be taken on in advance. And if I get the sense that there's a, like a sharp pivot somewhere that makes me feel slightly uncomfortable, it's like, oh, maybe no one knows what they're doing after all. Al, did Lost traumatize you? <laughs> I didn't even watch Lost because I knew that it would. Because I didn't, I knew that it would. Man, you're like really depriving yourself of some really, like really great pop culture. Like Lost is a great show. Okay, to be honest, I am utterly taken aback by Al 
I can't believe what you said. I love the fact that they wrote the show without a roadmap because they would constantly mm-hmm. write themselves into these crazy situations and write themselves out of them. I thought that was really, really interesting. I thought it was kind of creative. I don't love a predetermined show where people know from the very beginning how it's going to end because it doesn't allow for any kind of variation, right? You know, so like Game of Thrones, for example, is a show where you know where you're going if you read the books, like if you're aware of that world, you kind of know where you're going. That's not very interesting to me. I want to be surprised. Generally, like a novel on TV is supposed to be the alternative to episodic TV where, you know, episodic TV is it's comfort food. You can, Sarah Lynn, stay with the same thing and keep audience, you know, criminal minds. It's pretty much exactly the same formula year after year after year after year, even though they have progressions in the plot and individual characters, things happen to them. And, you know, it doesn't have to be entirely like an old sitcom where just nothing changes. So it is, it's kind of breaking new ground to say we're not going to have a roadmap. But I do like the fact that they are taking risks. We're going to do something different with each season, even though, again, like I said, when I started that as then as a whole thing, it's not as organically satisfying to me as a coherent novel would have been. The thing that Al was saying about, I agree with the beginning of the show that even though I like those characters, I like Nacho, but it did seem weirdly disjointed and like, why are, is this one show? It, it seemed more like they were just interested in multiple characters. And so let's just have it be an ensemble show, but sort of save the narrative justification. We know it'll eventually come around. Breaking Bad gives us the excuse to have this narrative justification that these characters will all eventually meet and do interesting things together, but we can just keep those worlds so separate to start with. And it was on an episode by episode basis, less satisfying for me than just like, just tell the story of Nacho or just tell the story of Saul in his, you know. But wow. so much of it was like, you would get these two story. Like I, I just finished watching Winner. I think it was season four, season finale, where Mike kills Werner. who's the engineer on the super lab. And then that's where Saul becomes Saul. That's where Jimmy becomes Saul. That's where he changes his name. And yes, both of those two storylines were very, very separate. But at the same time, they had these similar trajectories. And you're thinking, oh my God, is Mike, who is now killing for Gus, is that worse than Jimmy pretty much selling his brother's memory down the river, you know, so that he can practice law again and becomes this other person? I liked that you could actually see these parallels going on, even if with stories that seem so different, they actually weren't. They were connected. I actually trust the writers so implicitly that I know that it's going to come together at some point. That reminds me of something that, you know, I was talking earlier about the ways of Better Call Saul made Breaking Bad better and worse on reflection. One of the ways I think it made it much better and more interesting is so one of the crucial questions I've always kind of had to myself about Breaking Bad and the character of Walter White is, is Breaking Bad the story of a guy who was always self-interested narcissist and just didn't have an outlet for it? Or is it the story of a guy who's driven to become an evil narcissist by his like circumstances? And the most interesting thing about Better Call Saul for me, I think, is as a response to Breaking Bad and how Breaking Bad kind of found its place in in the pop culture and, and particularly how Walter White has become 
this meme of a, like Lawrence said, Scarface earlier, it's like meme of cool yeah. evil guy, which is like deeply problematic in a number of ways. And I think Best Call Saul is a really, part of what's really interesting about it is as a way to kind of address that. And the way Better Call Saul made me think about Walter White's journey is a third way. It's neither of those options. It's not that Walter White was always like that, and it's not that he was forced to become like that. But what's made explicit in Breaking Bad in the story of Jimmy and Kimmy in particular is that it's not one thing or the other. It's making individual choices that set you down a particular path, which then makes other choices easier. And it's about following. And I think Mike even has a speech where he lays this out in a real authorial voice detail, where it's just about the consequences of making these small decisions and setting yourself down on on this path, which then provides justifications for even further small decisions. And before you know it, you're Saul Goodman or you're Heisenberg. And that was a really interesting way of making the story of Walter White more interesting. I will say this, though. While I do believe that Better Call Saul is the superior show, it's not a very rewatchable show. Like Breaking Bad has so many cool moments and it's so fun and there's so much tension and all that kind of stuff. It's very rewatchable. I've probably watched that show three times. You see different things every time you watch it. Better Call Saul, because it is so slow and it's so laborious and it's really about setting up what happens to some of the characters in Breaking Bad, maybe I'll rewatch some of the latter seasons. Like maybe. I'm not rewatching those first few seasons. They're great. They gave me a lot of insight into who Saul was, but they are boring as hell, man. Whereas Breaking Bad is so much more of a grab life by the seat of your pants and hold on tight. It's interesting because I think the most rewatchable things in it for me were in the early season. And particularly because I think, I think you're right. There's no. It is amazing how much we disagree, Al. It is. <laughs> I, I, I'm taking them back. <laughs> well, Al has actually rewatched it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right in broad strokes in that there's no like I am the one who knocks and there's no like throwing a bag of explosive metal on the floor. There's none of this. It's so cool. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. I am the one who knocks and it's so fucking cool. I'm sorry, go ahead. What? Chicanery? What? (laughs) Magnus, bitch. None of that. But the uh, (laughs) the episode in the scene which I think will bear rewatching is the courtroom scene, the hearing where Jimmy outs Chuck as like as a Mm -hmm. fraud. That's since of the early season. That is, a, yeah. Well, I mean, that's just a great scene, though. That's a great scene. It's a great but, scene. But you're, but you're right in that it doesn't hold up without all of the preceding emotional context. Like, you need two seasons of Jimmy being systematically undermined by Chuck before that means as much as... Mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying. There are some rewatchable stuff in Better Call Saul, but Breaking Bad is just like... It's like cocaine, man. You hit it and you... I never, For the record, I've never had cocaine. I've never had cocaine. I want you guys to know I don't do drugs. I've never had cocaine. I've never had... But it's just like you get a hit and you just go. It's it's just one of those quick hit things. But there's such a big payoff, though, for that. That was chicanery, that courtroom scene, because we know that Jimmy's been undermined by his brother this whole time. We know that Chuck's dignity is at stake here. We see his ex-wife, who he still pines for, is sitting there in the back of the courtroom there's such a big payoff for what some might characterize as, as the audience's patience. Even though I always felt fascinated by this story, but you know, sometimes it is a little bit slow and you do need to exercise a little bit of patience, but the payoff is so big. That courtroom scene, oh my God, I was absolutely riveted and I remembered it. So is it just me that I could not remember when I started this last season or half a season, whatever it was that just released, why exactly they were mad at Howard. Like, Howard was a jerk. That's it. 
There was no reason. It was proper Iago motiveless malignity by <laughs> by the end. There was no reason. By the time he was calling hookers to go and bother Howard in a restaurant, there was no reason for it at all. Like even the pretend reason that they had to settle the Sandpiper sure. crossing case previously, that was no longer a thing. So they just, and that was when, again, gets back to my point about the weird pivot. That was the point when the show decided to make itself about Kimmy and Jimmy's toxic relationship. They treated Howard bad, man. Like, I mean, you're yeah. right. And maybe it just shows they're not good people. I don't know. No, I think that was deliberate. That was them starting to make the audience realize these guys are not okay. through and through good people. They are capable of really horrible shit just to get a thrill. I heard someone characterize like their love of the scam as their love language, which I actually really love that. But <laughs> their scam, you know, Sarah that was toxic. <laughs> <laughs> what? And I don't do coke either. I'm not. No, that's sure not, you know. Sure no. you know. <laughs> no, but I think it was just sort of the love of putting the one over on Howard. You know, I think that's what it was. They probably knew that he didn't really deserve it or they justified it for themselves. But it was the scam. When Kim turns around in her car, literally turns around so that she could go and see that scam through. You knew that she's making that choice, right? She's making that choice. And we know exactly where that leads, unfortunately, for Howard. Yeah, what do we think of this as a romance? Because it's one of the most, the least explicit romances that has ever been on screen. And I know this was intentional. I was listening to one of the podcasts, the behind the scenes podcast, and they were talking about how when you know she's about to leave him and he finally says, I love you, how they never say that. I wouldn't have known for sure, but like apparently they never have said that in the history of the show before that. And it's all very, you're wondering like, why exactly? Like, so what Sarah Lynn is saying about this being their love language, that's pretty dysfunctional that you're not actually overtly affectionate. It's more this sort of friendship and mutual respect. So it was just kind of confusing, but I think intentionally so. And it relies more on the audience falling in love with this character, with Kim, than anything you actually see from, you know, his affection. I mean, how many scenes of them brushing their teeth do we have in the show, right? They have all of these interesting, intimate moments that aren't necessarily sexual, but, you know, they're always brushing their teeth. They're watching old movies. They watch old movies together. Watching old movies together in bed. Yes, they're clearly intimate, but their relationship seems to be, especially towards the end, seems to be based on pulling these scams, which is, you're right, which is pretty toxic. I'm going to suggest replacing the idea of these scams being their love language with being their fetish, because the only time that they mm. seem to have any kind of sexual relationship is while they are pulling some scam on somebody. It is a super interesting romantic relationship because like so many toxic relationships, they are basically just really good friends and they find one thing that gets them both off together and cling to that as the reason why they want to stay together. And that's the thing that destroys them in the end. But yeah, it is a super interesting portrayal of probably, I'm sure the specifically that kind of relationship isn't very common, but it kind of speaks to something that makes a lot of relationships which seem like they should work, not work, because the thing that's tying them together, the thing that gives them sexual energy is ultimately something that's bad for both people. It makes me feel really icky to say this, but I think Al might be right. Like, I, I never thought of it. I never thought, no, not the fact that you're right. That's not what we do. <laughs> I've never thought of it as like their kink, but you're kind of right. I mean, it isn't like soft enough to be a love language. Like, it's not 
romantic or anything, but it is something really icky and weird that that is what kind of gets them off. I think you're right. And it kind of gives us insight into how these relationships were on the outside. Like, how are they together? What's going on? Like how those things kind of kick off and like what they kind of get off on. That every time that they're doing those kinds of things, they're on, like they're in it. They feel it. They share that history, like her flashbacks to when she was a kid doing those scams with her mom and Jimmy was slipping Jimmy. They have this strange history that not a lot of people share, but they do. And they ended up at the same law firm. I found that that history actually was was really interesting. Yeah, such an interesting choice to do that in the last season. Because I know it's a part of this not having a roadmap of right. they didn't think that Kim was actually going to even be a major character. Maybe she was just going to be a love interest in the first season or two. But it's just, you know, it was such a good character. And, that, you know, that was the same with Saul in the first place as he was going to just be a guest star for a couple scenes. It's like having the hooker in Breaking Bad become a major, you know, the significant character. Like Aaron Paul. He was only mm. supposed to be. This was he like killed off, wasn't he? Yeah, he was supposed to be killed off early on. Well, do we remember like was doing the scams what initially got them together? I thought it was more just like they worked together and he was kind of victimized by his brother and she felt sorry for him. I may be misremembering, but I think what happened before he, he was about to take the job in the other city. And there's a scene where he goes to Kimmy and says, is this going to happen? Because if it's not going to happen, I'm just going to go and I'll take the job. And I think the thing that gets them together is when he first invites her to pull a scam on someone that doesn't put Kim in a very good light if she's kind of indifferent to him. But the thing that finally makes her sexually attracted to him is that he can like help her indulge this like secret. I mean, it's a Freudian nightmare, right? Because what we later find out about the relationship that she had with her mother. And then obviously he's dealing with everything with his brother and his history of slipping Jimmy. And then this just like a perfect oil and fire situation. And I'm sure. But um, she's the only one who sees that he just has gotten a raw deal too. I mean, back when he was trying to get the Kettleman's to hire him and Howard tries to steal their business even though he's the one who found them. You know, also he found the other case with the retirement home and Mm -hmm. he tries to steal that from him. He tries to pay him off basically so that they could take over the case and his brother backs up Howard instead of Jimmy. So she sees that he's gotten a raw deal. I think she's already kind of on his side. Jimmy has got a raw deal, but wasn't Chuck right about Jimmy the whole time? Wasn't Chuck's whole thing no matter where you go, no matter how you try, you're always going to be slipping Jimmy. And isn't that exactly always what we be. find out about Saul? He was absolutely right about that. When you look at the totality of who Jimmy became and what Saul became, you're right. One of the factors, though, is if people think the worst of you and they treat you poorly, then eventually you're just going to be like, well, I'm not gaining anything by trying to convince you otherwise. I will just actually be that. And I thought about when you know, he was sort of forced into this getting Lalo off. And then when everybody at the courthouse that had been so friendly to him all turned against him because of this, then he could just like, well, I guess that's the person I am. And I guess I will play this to the fullest and be sort of the enemy of the court establishment. I mean, if we're looking at a character study, what's interesting about a character, what's supposed to be interesting about a character is its character arc, right? It, that the fact that it changes. Mm-hmm. So does Jimmy change by the end? Is he a changed person or was Chuck right all all along? Jimmy certainly changes by the end of the show. He ends the show happy that he's 
in prison paying for his crimes, which reads to me like an acceptance that he is that kind of guy after all, and he deserves to be in jail because that's why people like him deserve to be. Ooh. I think, going back to you, Mark, so yeah, he does react to people around him, but also he does have a couple of oppor- like clean opportunities in the show to change path, to take the corporate job or to do this or that. And he doesn't, doesn't do it. Or to take eight months. <laughs> Or or to be the manager of a Cinnabon in Omaha, and he can't do it. Mm -hmm. No, he can't do that. So a couple of things that determine its status as a prequel, that apparently that one line that was a throwaway line when he's put at gunpoint in Breaking Bad by Walter White, and he says, like, you know, tell Lalo it was Nacho or something. And, And the writers decided they had to take that seriously and devote half of the show to creating these two characters. Whereas I didn't remember that at all. Like I was just reminded of that recently. What I remembered is him saying, oh, I got the two kids and the two ex-wives or whatever, which apparently was just, they're going to retroactively say it was just him lying. But for what conceivable reason? I think it was clearly just because they didn't know what his backstory was. They didn't care that much. It seemed like he should be the guy that's had two marriages. If they cared about that, they could have built in, oh, well, somewhere between when Kim leaves and he becomes this, then he has another wife briefly, why bother? That would just dilute the dramatic effect. At that point in Breaking Bad, he didn't know what had happened to Lalo. He didn't know what had happened to Ignacio. He had no idea, I don't think. So I read that scene as he had real fear that he was being hunted again by Lalo, who was both charming and terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what do we think about, you know, again, an ensemble. It's not just a character study. It's an ensemble character study. So Mm -hmm. we're going to spend a lot of time, not just with Gus, who, you know, I see, especially listening to this one, I listened to one episode of the Behind the Scene podcast, and it happened to be talking about, among other things, that Gus, one of his final appearances in this show of him being hit on by the maitre d' and how this could have been like a real relationship, and he just tamps it down and this shows like his firming up. I'm going to have this public persona. I'm never going to have a real private life. He can't even drink the wine. The amount of time spent on Lalo and exactly how bad is he? Well, he doesn't murder everybody. He only murders if he has a reason. Did that make that confrontation between the two of those characters that much more effective, that much more menacing that we spent all this time with Lalo in a sewer and stuff? I thought it made it richer. I thought Mm -hmm. it made the whole show richer. Nacho, the conversation that he has with his dad on the phone Mm -hmm. reminded me of Walt talking to his wife at the end where he basically exonerates her, takes all of the blame. That also broke my heart. I I loved all of the characters in the show. I thought they just added to it for me. It wasn't perfect. I mean, there are some things that I would have preferred for them to spend more time on this or less time on that. But ultimately, it gives you a rich backstory to what the character, to the characters were. Mm-hmm. It doesn't short thrift anyone. It kind of makes each character a fully fleshed out three dimensional individual. I thought that it was a really, really good example of a show looking deeply at all of the major characters. No character was a, was a throw off, mm-hmm. even the characters who were killed. Mm-hmm even though it was laborious at times, but I think that it being laborious provided you the opportunity to kind of live with some characters, right? I agree. That payoff was always, I felt they always paid it off. So is there any element that you are hungry for more information about? 
to me, no, knowing about, I guess there have been enough shows about Mexican drug cartels that like to hear about the young Salamancas or something, but like there's definitely things that would be interesting that he's established. This is my approach for exploring a world. And they're always just like in, I think I've thrown this out before. So in the show ER, which ran forever, there would be like, let's have a season in the NICU to sort of see what that's like. And so we get an opportunity here to see mm-hmm. what things are like. You know, that was a thing in Ozark, which we should talk about briefly. Like that show would not have happened if not for Breaking Bad. It is such a almost moment by moment retread, but still great. And, but that took the opportunity of like, now we're going to spend more time in Mexico. Now we're going to spend more time over here or, or uh, the wire of like, now let's go to the education. Yeah, now you're talking about a great show. Yes. Now let's go to the press. Like, does Breaking Bad have the openness that there might be, you know, somebody as a joke mentioned, like, I want to have a Kim Wexler post all this working <laughs> to support underprivileged people at the law thing. And maybe she'll go and visit Jimmy in jail now and again. And he'll be sort of the, uh, you know, the jailhouse confidant. <laughs> I would watch that. I don't know if that's necessary, but it would be interesting. I would watch her read the phone book. She's so <laughs> excellent. <laughs> I'd watch a procedural like early days of Hank Schrader about the law enforcement agencies that we see and like some of the weird, you know, maybe shady shit that they have to go through their relationship with like Border Patrol, all of those. Like you bring up the wire and I think there's probably interesting stories you can tell about the law enforcement of the kind of characters that we get to see in the other shows. But I would much rather the creative team behind these shows found a new world and a new cast of characters to talk about. Because the idea of watching three or four seasons of Giancarlo Esposito is like, the guy is great, but I think we've done. I think we've Yeah, done. I don't need a young Gus show myself. That's been the only <laughs> one that's been actually floated in the, in the press. It's at least he wants to do that. It wouldn't be him. It would be a different actor, of course. <laughs> he's a, I think he's gainfully employed. He's a good actor. I would watch him in anything. No, I think this show needs to end. It needs to be done. There's nothing else to explore. People say they want more, then they get more, and they realize they don't want it. Better Call Saul was one of those really weird shows where it's a prequel that it actually gave you something new. Game of Thrones has a prequel that is really not giving us anything new. It's fun, but it's not really giving you anything new. Rings of Power, it's not really giving you anything new. But we don't need more of this. Like, If they give us more from this world, I'm tapping out. I'm done. There's no more meat on the bone. Like, Leave it alone. Like it's time for the story to end. It's time for these characters to kind of go off into the sunset. It's hard to do. I mean, we've seen it with, you know, like the Star Wars franchise. You know, there's just too much. It's You just get overload of, of a particular world. You went too far. Come on, <laughs> man. You can't talk, talk crap about Star Wars. Come on. I can talk crap about Star Wars. <laughs> Why I'm not? trying to think now if there are any other, like what other good prequels are there? There must be plenty, but... None, not really. No, it's not many. Mine. I would follow those creators anywhere. Any world that they want to create, I'm in. Because they could just do something that is in the same world, but like has none of the same characters. It's just a different part of the legal system, a different part of the country, something. But the idea of the sheer incompetence of most criminals, that is, I think, the thing that is just a font that could keep giving quite a long time. Like that what is funny about Breaking Bad is the the deputies, his stoner friends. That is a rich mind. And, and exactly what we we're talking about of like, what is the appeal of the very first case that we see Jimmy defending, which is what, three guys, <laughs> three teens that were videotaped themselves having sex with a dead horse or something. <laughs> Just yes. Yeah. Or in Breaking Bad, where somebody knocks over an ATM 
you know, mm-hmm. by bringing the physical ATM and it like falls on. Anyway, it's just you don't have to have the same characters. It's sort of a raising Arizona sort of thing. This is kind of what I hoped that the Better Call Saul was going to turn out to be because it was just like these mm-hmm. weird and wacky clients that Saul would have to come up with increasingly weird ways to, to get them off. And I would watch a show like that. But I think we're dangerously close to describing Fargo at this point, like sure. just a series, long anthology of weirdly interesting criminal characters. Well, when we go up to Omaha, there are some pretty weird <laughs> things <laughs> happening <laughs> up there. <laughs> the whole mall thing was pretty funny. That that scam was pretty funny. Having a Jerry from Parks and Rec show. It was just great to see him. Playing exactly the same character, just in a different job. The fastidious way that he would eat that Cinnabon with a knife and a fork, like just, (laughs) it was heaven. I loved it. Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, they were good about those little small character ticks to make characters a little bit more memorable. They were always good about that. Yeah. I just got through watching the show Hacks. Oh, I love that that show. It's a great show. That's a great show. So there's one character in there who's like the assistant agent who is just a hilarious comic actress. Yes. And I'm like, I want her to be the star of something, but then no, actually her doing exactly what she's doing in that. That's probably the ideal situation. So that might be very much like with the the right amount of time, right? The Jerry character eating the donuts (laughs) or Saul's secretary, that character, like, no, she's doing exactly the right thing in the right format. And having her be the star of something else. It's not, it's not a good idea. Uh, I don't, I you think you want it until you get it and then you realize you don't want it. That's exactly what it is. It's like a Saturday Night Live character that gets a whole movie. That's exactly what it is. It is amazing that Better Call Saul works as well as it did. And mm-hmm. Bob Odenkirk did just such an incredible job of taking what was well realized for the, the amount of screen time, but it was a thin, it was a one note character and, and they absolutely nailed it. And can we talk very briefly about that? Is Better Call Saul at this point? the most snubbed TV show. Oh my God, I know. Like in history. We'll see what happens next year at the the next Emmys because the way that they released this final season, the first half that they released falls into this Emmy category. The second half that they released falls into next year's Emmy categories. But so far it is absolutely snubbed because it it is... I can't believe it. It is so appalling to me. It wasn't a Ray Seahorn who played Kim Rexler. She was so robbed. She was amazing. Oh, she was amazing. Did I see 96 Emmy nominations over the show's run? And no, like zero zero wins. Oh, wow. It was a lot, yeah. Because they get nominated for everything because the crew is fantastic and all the, Mm. like every element of the production is spectacular. Yeah. Ah, well, any final thoughts? I think Al is absolutely wrong about 99% of the stuff that he said today. However, that 1% that he's right, he's fucking right. I'll take that. <laughs> All right. Sarah Lynn, any final thoughts? No, I mean, I already miss it. I'm following all their social media just so I can take a look at GIFs and pictures and stuff like that of that show. I, I will deeply miss this show. I'm looking forward less to the actual sequels than to the spiritual sequels that if they're good, right? So I would put <laughs> Ozark in the category of like, that scratched my Breaking Bad itch. It was very carefully done. It was meticulously directed. The script was, you know, and the acting, it's just like getting those top drawer lead actors and all these people that were coming in to support. So as opposed to, you know, what you'd expect of the round of cash in, I don't know if that's as much a thing anymore because just the different way that networks work, that there's not as much a Star Wars is a big thing. Let's put out a million horrible, horrible movies 
and TV shows. <gasps> you hear that, that rip off Star Wars. I'm, no, I'm talking about like what happened in 1980. It's just <laughs> such a different world now that you don't see. The Rise of Skywalker was terrible. The rest of them, I will defend. I will defend everything but that last movie. You want a Breaking Bad Christmas special is what you're saying, Mark. <laughs> I would love. I would love a Breaking Bad Christmas special. That would make me very, very happy. Or what if we went up to Alaska and, and joined Jesse, see what he's up to? I don't want to see Jesse anymore. That, that movie that they came out with, what was that, El Camino? That oh, I can't movie? believe we haven't mentioned that even. I didn't like that movie at all. It was really, really, so, but it's an incredibly different kind of thing. It's just, it's just an action thriller, and it's really good at being that. We haven't mentioned Jesse Plemons and Todd, who is an astonishing yes. villain. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, the fact that you got a little more Todd in El Camino was made it worth it to me. It, it did make it worth it, but yeah, but, but I, I really don't think that Jesse's a very interesting character. I don't think it's worth digging into what he's up to. It's just he he was fine. Did you like seeing him at the end of Better Call Saul? The way that they presented him at the end of Better Call Saul was interesting, but it wasn't interesting because of him. It was interesting because of Kim Wexler and because of what that tells us about her. But honestly, I don't think that there's any more meat on the bone of Jesse because I was among the crowd that was like, oh, we need more Jesse. We need more, more of him. And then I got with El Camino. I realized, you know what? I really don't want that. I want more Aaron Paul, though, because one of the other things in rewatching Breaking Bad is I realized how great because it seems like it's only a one is kind of a one note performance a lot of the time. But there's so much depth in everything he does as Jesse. I want to see much more of him. He's very good. He's also pretty funny. I'm going to say this, and this is going to make people think of me really badly. He was in a terrible Need for Speed movie, and he was amazing in it. It's crazy, but... Why would that make people think badly of you? He was... Because people are going to be like, he don't know shit. He, he doesn't know his pop culture. But I'm <laughs> telling you, he was really good in that movie. I have not seen that. You don't need to watch it, trust me. <laughs> uh, unless, unless you just really want to see a really good performance, but everything else around the movie is terrible. We just saw him in the Funny or Die short, the fake documentary about Weird Al, and he plays... Aaron Paul plays Weird Weird Al in the fake documentary. Have you guys seen that? Then no, there's going to be then there's a movie that's now based on it. So my husband and I watched the trailer for the movie, and then we went and watched the Funny or Die clip, and it was actually really really funny. I'll check it out. I'll check it out. It's very good. Yeah, very difficult to step out of such an iconic role and navigate <laughs> a career, but it mm-hmm. seems like he's off to a pretty good start. Yeah, he's working. I mean, I don't, I don't know if he's off to a good start. Well, I mean, it's, to be honest, like his career has not really gone anywhere. But you know, I guess it's just that I'm old, and it seems like it's only been two years since Breaking Bad went off the air, <laughs> which is demonstratively false given what we just talked about. So, oh man! <laughs> all right, thanks to all of you. Thanks, listeners. So long. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode, and you get to hear the episodes in advance of everyone else at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com.